to season one, episode two of Vixen, a black beauty and pop culture podcast. If you enjoy what you hear today, please leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. Today's episode is on Lola Falana, actress, dancer, singer, and the most famous Vegas showgirl ever. Now, let's start the show. Lolifa Elaine Falana was born September 11th, 1942 in Camden, New Jersey to an African-American mother and an Afro-Cuban father. At three years old, Lola began taking ballet lessons. By seven, she was singing in the church choir and taking jazz, modern, and tap dance classes, all while learning how to play the piano and the violin. After having more children, Bennett and Cleo Falana stopped paying for Lola's musical lessons to readjust the family budget, but allowed her to stay in dance classes. Lola's mother, Cleo, was a seamstress, and her father, Bennett, was a welder who used to be in the Marine Corps. But both of her parents were, surprisingly, they were both really good at um, sewing, even her father, and they made clothes for the entire family. Um, In an interview with Ebony in 1979, Lola says, we didn't go to the store and say, I want this or that. You didn't want anything. At this time, Lola started to idolize the confident women she saw in show business. In her Ebony interview, she cited the hot ladies, as she calls them, her favorites. Dorothy Dandridge, Marilyn Monroe, all the sexy ladies I liked. The hard ladies I didn't like. I always liked people who thought of life as pretty who went out of their way to be flowers in the world, she said. I kind of relate to that. I kind of feel the same. Um, (laughs) So when she was nine years old, the Falanas moved to Philadelphia in 1952, looking for more opportunities. In junior high, Lola was in all the school plays, sometimes even acting as the producer, the choreographer, and even the treasurer. So this little girl was one of those kids that's all over the place, Um, such a ham, really smart, really talented, and just wanted their hands in everything. So that's the kind of child that Lola was. So when reflecting on this time, Lola says, I never was a good follower. If I'm going to do it, I want the full responsibility. That's my joy. There's a great growth process in that, and I don't want to miss the opportunity. While attending Germantown High School, Lola was already dancing in nightclubs around Philly, escorted by her mother, which I thought was pretty cool like I mean I love that her mom was confident enough in her skills that was like all right we about to take this show out on the city so when Lola was 14 singer Dina Washington came to town to hold auditions for dancers and to perform later that night Dina was in her dressing room at the pops music bar when Lola uninvited came into her dressing room saying I want to dance do you need a dancer Dina was impressed by Lola's courage and told her she'd let her do a trial performance, a sexy African dance. So this teenager bursts into Dina Washington's dressing room and Dina's like, who is this kid? I'm gonna give her a shot just because she's going hard. So halfway through the show, one of the straps on Lola's costume broke and the audience froze. Lola picked up the strap with her teeth and kept on dancing. Later, Dina told her, you got the job, baby. And Lola became Dina's opening act. So after traveling with Dina Washington, Lola's main priority was pursuing show business. A few months before her high school graduation, she dropped out and moved to New York City behind her parents' back. So her parents did not know where she was. 
She danced for $25 a week in a small show and lived in hotel rooms with many other dancers and even spent her first Christmas in New York in one of these rooms overlooking Broadway. Many times she slept in subway stations between jobs. One day, Sammy Davis Jr. entered the Harlem Club in Atlantic City, where he saw a girl dancing in a chorus line, and that girl was Lola. From there, Sammy cast her as a dancer in his Broadway musical, Golden Boy. So, quick stop, y'all. <laughs> Sammy Davis Jr., interestingly enough, he's going to pop up a lot on this podcast because he has something to do with, like, every beautiful black woman from, like, 1960 to 1980. Like, I cannot believe... Um, how many times he comes up in research with just different women that I've started to write episodes for and women that I've written episodes on. He's going to come up a lot. So get used to hearing his name. I'm going to try to keep count of how many times that he comes up uh, during this podcast because he had a hand in like everyone. So anyway, back to the story. So at this point, when Sammy cast her in Golden Boy, Lola's career took off. Later that same year, she began a singing career, and her first single, which was called My Baby, was released in 1965. In 1966, she starred opposite Sammy in his film A Man Called Adam, and that movie also starred Cicely Tyson and Ossie Davis. In 1967, Lola starred in a spaghetti western, a term that describes the genre of western films created by Italians in the 1960s. So the spaghetti westerns are these movies that were filmed in, I think almost all of them were filmed in Italy. Um, They were produced and created by Italians, but they were similar to... um, exploitation films but they also had a big influence um, from western culture because at that time a lot of western style movies were popular in America so it was like an Italian twist on that and a lot of these movies uh, casted black women so that's another thing you'll hear throughout this podcast a lot of the women that I'm going to talk about on this podcast who were actresses are going to probably have done a spaghetti western at least once or twice and I mean they just loved black women over there so a lot of women Um, A lot of black women were very successful from doing spaghetti westerns. So the one that Lola starred in first was called Lola Cult. So it was actually named after her. She did two more spaghetti westerns after that. And by that time, she was speaking Italian fluently and she was a superstar in Italian cinema. So like I said, black women were very, very successful from spaghetti westerns. And she was known throughout Italy as Black Venus. So that was what they called her. At this time, Lola is super big in Italy. She's super popular. She was also the first black woman to model and perfume advertisements for Fabrice to Greece, which I know I'm butchering the pronunciation of. I'm sorry. It was a cosmetics line. It was a popular cosmetics line at the time. Throughout all of this, Lola was still touring with Sammy Davis Jr. And she was reprising her role in Golden Boy during their um, London run. So when asked about Lola, Sammy said the only person who was as versatile as her was was Eartha Kitt. She is a multi-talented girl. The problem with Lola has always been not what she can do, but how to prevent her from doing all of the things she can do. While her career is taking off, her personal life was stirring up some drama of its own. So at some point between 1965 and 1968 Lola and Sammy Davis Jr. become romantically involved so the relationship became public knowledge when Sammy admitted the affair to his then wife which ultimately led to their divorce so at that time when Sammy Davis Jr. met Lola he was married and his wife um, left him when he admitted the affair I 
think this was when he was married to a white woman i'm not sure i think this is when he was married to the white lady but it doesn't matter but anyway because what he did is so <laughs> so sorry <laughs> i just was trying to I, I think he's been married a few times but i think that was when he was married to this white woman um but yeah so that was big big um like tabloid fodder they weren't called tabloids then but you guys know what i mean so it was a big thing there was a lot of press around it it was embarrassing you know it was a lot so that kind of took off in the media everyone was talking about it and then a year later in 1969 lola ended her working relationship with sammy davis jr and in an interview with tv guide she said if i didn't break away i would always be known as the little dancer with sammy davis jr and i wanted to be known as something more so even though she cut him off as far as working with him they still had a romantic relationship after sammy's divorce the two got into a relationship so lola became sammy davis jr's girlfriend after his wife left sammy then rented a suite for lola at the playboy club in london you see the playboy club's always popping up as well so he rents the suite for her at the playboy club in london and she invited a friend um altavis gore who is an actress herself um to come and live with her so this is where things are kind of funny so she invites Altavis Gore to live with her at this suite that Sammy Davis Jr. rented for her but Altavis goes on to become uh Sammy Davis Jr.'s third wife I have no idea how that happened but yeah so that was her friend first and then later on in life Altavis and Sammy get married so it's a little funny anecdote in 1970 Lola's popularity in America began to rise as well. She starred in her first American film, The Liberation of L.B. Jones, and was nominated for a Golden Globe Award. That same year, she posed for Playboy magazine and did a few exploitation films. Also in 1970, Lola married Feliciano Tavares Jr., who is known as Butch, and he was in the soul band Tavares. Her career began to really soar after this point, so before this, she was very well known and um on broadway and in italy but now she's starting to become like an american superstar so her career continues to soar um she made appearances on the joey bishop show the tonight show the muppet show she was on everything um she even had her own television specials and in 1972 bill cosby hired lola for his variety hour program the new bill cosby show 1975 was really a big year for Lola. She and Butch divorced and her disco record, There's a Man Out There Somewhere, shot up the Billboard charts. She came back to Broadway as the lead in the musical Dr. Jazz. She was then nominated for a Tony and won the 1975 Theater World Award. So Dr. Jazz was pretty successful, I believe, but production ended after only about five performances. So Lola had to start thinking about what she was going to do next. By the late 1970s, her film career was sort of fizzling out, but she was still relevant and working. It was just she hadn't been in any films recently. She and Sammy Davis Jr. had remained friends and he helped her bring her act to Las Vegas. So Sammy Davis Jr. is like, you know, you come out here to Las Vegas, you perform, you know, you become a showgirl, basically. So Lola had sold out shows at the Riviera, the MGM Grand and the Sands in Las Vegas. Then um, the Aladdin Hotel offered her $100,000 a week to move her act there permanently. So that was a lot of money at that time. 
at this point, Lola was the highest paid female performer in town. So she's getting paid more than anybody else with a Vegas residency. Her show ran 20 weeks out of the year and it was a tourist attraction. By the late 1970s, she was known as the Queen of Las Vegas. So Lola was known around Vegas for her signature white silk evening gown that she wore during her performances. And she was also known for her signature song, Whatever Lola Wants, Lola Gets. And that's a song that's been referenced throughout pop culture. Um, while performing in Vegas, Lola was also starring in a short-lived soap opera, Capital, which appeared on CBS. In 1983, Lola was playing Baccarat at the Bali's Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City, and it was her lucky night because she ended up winning a minority stake in the New York Mets. She later sold the stake in 1988 for $14 million, so Lola just keeps winning at this point. Um, unfortunately, around this time, Lola was diagnosed with multiple scoliosis. In 1987, after a severe relapse of the disease, she became partially blind, her left side was paralyzed, and her voice and hearing were extremely impaired. During her year and a half long recovery, Lola turned to God and became a devout Roman Catholic. And when asked about her recovery, she credits a spiritual experience she had where she felt she was able to feel the presence of the Lord. She continued to perform in Vegas at the time, but her interest heavily shifted to spirituality and religion. At this time, she even recorded a gospel song, Don't Cry Mary, with Joseph Lee Hooker, who was a Christian singer. In 1996, she experienced another severe bout with multiple scoliosis and decided to move back to Philadelphia um, with her family. Her last known musical performance was in 1997 at the Wayne Newton Theater in Missouri. So at this point, Lola starts to slowly disappear from the spotlight. But I would say that this was at her own will. It wasn't like she wore out her welcome or she got too old or whatever happens to other actresses. She kind of just went through something, had an experience and decided that she wanted to dedicate her life to God. Um, I definitely believe that her career would have been even longer if she you know hadn't gotten sick so even though she wasn't as visible at this time her name um was still living on in pop culture references one of the popular mentions that she's had in 1978 Barry Manilow mentions her in the song Copacabana and he says her name is Lola she was a showgirl the TV series A Different World the character Whitley Gilbert makes several references to Lola Falana they uh, mention her in Barbershop 2 Family Matters and Sanford and Son she's also mentioned in Blade the comic by Marvel um, the character references her in the tomb of Dracula and there's like a million other references with her name so a decade later Lola had recovered enough from multiple scoliosis to move back to Vegas but today you know she just leads a more quiet life she actually has her own ministry called the Lambs of God ministry and she focuses on orphan children in sub-saharan Africa so that's what Miss Lola is doing now um I have to say out of all of the women I've researched so far for this podcast, I would say Lola's the only one who had worked consistently back to back for years. And I think that says a lot about her work ethic. And another thing that I've noticed about her, which I think is really cool, is both women and men loved her at the height of her popularity. Like it wasn't just like men loved her and like their wives hated her because her their husbands were attracted to her. It was like women and men were obsessed with Lola Falana. So, and I just felt like that just didn't really happen a lot because what I find often with proud and bold and brave women who happen to be sex symbols, especially these ones that are like, 
um, popular in the 1960s and 1970s is that the women around them definitely look down on them. Um, and that definitely was something that we talked about a little bit in last week's episode about Jennifer Jackson. You know, I think that a lot of her shame about her Playboy photos had to do with how other women, you know, spoke about women like her in quotations. So, um, you know, I didn't find any of that anywhere in Lola's story, which was really refreshing. So I want to end the episode on this quote that I found um, from a profile that Ebony did on her in 1979. And she said, I think women admire what I project in my womanhood. Lola declares in explaining the fine line she treads between femme fatale, boiling in their own juices, her male audiences to jelly and sister confidant, coding women and how to exploit their own sexuality. I think people admire that I can go out there and have fun without taking it seriously. Everything is tongue in cheek and with a smile. The women know that I'm not in a contest with them. A lot of them bring their spouses and say, if you don't kiss my husband, he'll die. I say, okay, honey, but I should charge you. Everything is fun. They know I'm not dangerous. I'm everybody's friend. I just came out on stage to say, let's have a party together in my house. I'll be a great hostess and look after everybody. That's how I think about it. So that is Lola Falana's story. This is one of my favorite episodes. I hope you guys enjoyed it and learned a little bit more about her life or learned about her if you had never heard of her. Um, I hope you guys like this episode and I will see you on the next one. Thank you for listening to Vixen. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to leave a review anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you have a submission, feel free to email vixenpodcast at gmail.com. That's V-I-X-E-N podcast at gmail.com.